Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analyzing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're starting a new book. It's Eclipse. That's right. Back into the Twilight universe with Stephanie Myers. Twilight threequel? I guess you'd call it the the third part of the saga, even though I don't think it's a saga because honestly not much happens. It's a shit series. Anyway, we're looking at Eclipse. Before we get into it, I do just want to mention that over on the Patreon, we've got a couple weeks left of the Fifty Shades Darker coverage. I think there's two chapters left, then we'll look at the movie and then we'll move on to Insurgent, which is the Divergent sequel. And now Fifty Shades Darker, if you guys haven't read it, It is the most ridiculous book I've ever read. It's completely bonkers. And what's so funny about it is there's absolutely zero plot. There's no plot at all. And yet we've got a helicopter crash. We've got, you know, Christian going missing for a chapter and then just reappearing because he was fine the whole time. And you've got like fake pregnancy scares and she's not even pregnant. You've got like intrigue in the publishing world. She's getting harassed. There's this ex sub of Christians with a gun and she breaks into their apartments and watches Anna sleep, but she's like not bothered by that because she's an idiot. Oh, there's just so much going on and yet nothing matters. It's the worst. With all that said, if you want to get in on the action, just go to patreon.com slash breaking down bad books and sign up to be a patron. So new episodes drop every Friday. It's $3 a month. And once you sign up, you get your own little RSS feed, which is private to your account. And you put that into your podcasting platform and it'll just pull the new episodes every week. I've also just opened up a SpeakPipe, which you can get to at speakpipe.com slash breaking down bad books if you want to leave a voicemail message. I know I get things wrong on the pod sometimes. So if you'd like to correct me or if there's anything I missed, because sometimes I get emails from you guys saying like, I can't believe you didn't mention how four was gaslighting Triss in this, in this instance. And I'm like, you know what? It's hard to pick up on every single instance of gaslighting. So please fill me in. Together, we might be able to capture every instance of gaslighting in these terrible books. It's a, it's a lofty goal, but I think we can get there. So with that being said, let's dive into Eclipse. She starts with the dedication to her husband, Pancho. And already I'm like, whoa, what a twist. I did not expect in my wildest dreams that Stephanie's husband would be called Pancho. I didn't know that was a name that was still in circulation. 
I'm interested to know. And I, I, and you know what? I didn't expect a Mormon to be called Pancho. Like I'm assuming he's Mormon. I don't want to alienate any Mormon listeners, but I'm watching this Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. And I got to tell you, the Mormon religion does not come across well. Heather Gay, she's one of the housewives. She left the church and her, her, all her family members now are watching her on TV being like, you know what? That's a nice lifestyle. I'm going to leave the church too. And they're all talking about it like this, it's this huge cult. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. She's dedicating the book to her husband, Pancho. So that's, that's fun. And then we have an epigraph for this book. And you know how Stephanie loves an epigraph. She likes to pretend like what she's writing is linked to these high pieces of literature. And it's not. But this time it's Fire and Ice by Robert Frost. Some say the world will end in fire. Some say in ice. From what I've tasted of desire, I hold with those who favor fire. But if I had to perish twice, I think I know enough of hate to say that for destruction, ice is also great and would suffice. I studied that in high school. I think it's been analyzed to death. There's a lot of theories about it. And you can take a lot of meaning out of that poem. And I think what Stephanie's just using it for is Jacob's hot, Edward's cold, and she doesn't know which to pick. And it's like, wow, you're really bastardizing Robert Frost's poem here. And also, I think it's funny because Robert Frost, his last name is Frost. Of course, he's going to side with ice. His name is Frost. But like, I think the point of the poem is, hey, either or, they're both shit options. <laughs> oh, would I rather die with fire or die with ice? I'd rather neither. And here Stephanie is saying, oh God, it's a tough choice. Edward or Jacob, Edward or Jacob. And I, now I think what the poem really says is that they're both shit options and they're both ending in destruction. So what's it all matter? That's my take on Robert Frost's Fire and Ice. You're welcome. And then we have a preface and I'm like, bitch, can we start the book? Can we start the fucking book? You've got a dedication, you've got an epigraph, and now you've got a preface. And her prefaces, it's always something in the future. Like, oh, look, there's a conflict that's going to happen. And it's always like the second last chapter. And you have to wade through chapters and chapters and chapters of bullshit to get to the action. And it's always spoiled because like, oh, it's in the preface. And basically she's in a sticky pickle again. She says, who would have thought that I'd be outnumbered No one's here to help me. We're fighting for our lives. Blah, blah, fucking blah. The odds don't look great. She's looking at black eyes, wild with their fierce craving for her death. Black eyes, which is interesting because, you know, the vampires, their eyes change color depending on whether they're hungry or not. So I I don't know who's attacking her right now. I assume it's a vampire. Anyway, she's sure she'll die. She says, oh, this will be the moment that I die. Again, every preface is just Bella dying and it's like, oh, get over it. And she says, somewhere far, far away in the cold forest, a wolf howled. And it's like, okay, so that's Jacob. Like, all right, Jacob's going to come and save you. Surprise, spoiled. I say that having read this book like 10 years ago and watched the film not that, <laughs> not that long ago. So yeah, I think I'm already spoiled, but let's press on. So the first chapter, it's called Ultimatum. And it starts with a letter from Jacob to Bella, except all of the sentences are crossed out. You know, he just says, I don't know why you're making Charlie carry notes to Billy like we're in second grade, crossed out. You made the choice, crossed out. What part of mortal enemies is too complicated for you to understand, crossed out. We can't be friends, crossed out, blah, blah, blah. And then finally it says, yeah, I miss you too, a lot. Doesn't change anything, sorry. And it's like, Jacob, what's the point of crossing out all of those little thoughts that you were having if they're still readable? Like we can still read them. She can still read them. Maybe scrunch up that piece of paper and get a fresh sheet and then write your little note because you're crossing it out, but we can still read it. So that defeats the purpose of the cross out. I don't know if you're doing it on purpose, Jacob, but you're saying all these hurtful things, but then you're crossing it out, man. Like, no, I don't want to say that. (laughs) And then you say it anyway, because we can read it. So Bella's reading the letter and she's like, poor Jacob. 
I can sense his frustration through the penmanship. And it's like, okay. And she's already memorized the words she tells us. Even though she's still reading the piece of paper, she's like, I've already memorized it. Then get rid of the piece of paper. If you've got a photographic memory all of a sudden, use it. And she says it's his answer to her pleading note, which was passed from Charlie to Billy to him, just like second grade, as he'd pointed out. And it's like, well, okay, then text him, email him, post him a letter. What are you doing handing around letters? And also, so then Charlie and Billy pass the letter back to you. They didn't read it? Because if I was Charlie, I'd be like, wonder what this note says. And then I'd see all this crossed out words referring to mortal enemies. and like alluding to a bunch of vampires, I'd be like, wait a minute, what are they talking about? So while she's thinking about this, she catches the smell of a smoking burner rising from the kitchen. And she's like, oh no, Charlie's cooking dinner. That's like an extinction level threat because Charlie's not good in the kitchen. So she is the only one that's allowed to cook. So she runs downstairs being like, oh no, what's going on? She catches a jar of spaghetti sauce that Charlie had stuck in the microwave. She says it was only on its first revolution when I yanked the door open. How do you know? How do you know? It could have been in there beforehand. What are you, Speedy Gonzalez? And yeah, so she pulls out the jar out of the microwave and she's like, Dad, you meant to take the lid off. Metal is bad for microwaves. <laughs> I don't know how Charlie survived up to this point because apparently he can't cook for shit. And then he's saying, well, did I at least get the noodles right? And he's cooking spaghetti. So I don't know why you're calling it noodles. That's, that's weird to me. And She's looking and she's like, staring helps. And so she finds a spoon and tries to declump the mushy hunk that was scalded to the bottom. I don't, I don't think spaghetti falls to the bottom. Surely when it's cooking, it's, it's, it's like floating, right? I don't know, but he's fucked up spaghetti. And she's like, what's going on here? What's all this about? And he's like, what do you mean? And she's like, I'm mystified. Charlie cooking with that surly attitude? What's going on? And then she thinks about, you know, how Charlie hates Edward because of the whole new moon fiasco where she was depressed for months because he dumped her in a forest. And she's like, boyfriend, it's not the right word. Words like destiny and fate sound hokey when you use them in casual conversation. So I have to use the word boyfriend. It's like, okay, yeah, you're just dating a guy. You didn't reinvent the wheel. You're not the most special couple in the universe. Your love isn't more special and more intense than anybody else's. He just happens to be a vampire and you're a dumb bitch. And she's just catching us up on everything. She's like, Edward had another word in mind. And that word was fiance. I shudder at the thought. And it's like, yeah, okay, thanks for the reminder, Stephanie. And there's a lot of that, this chapter of her just being like, hey, remember this? And it's like, yeah, I know. No one's starting the Twilight Saga with Eclipse. I swear to you, Steph, we've all read New Moon. We've read Twilight. We're up to date. And she says to Charlie, did I miss something? Since when do you make dinner? Or at least try to make dinner, I should say. So she's just shading him for not being a good cook. Leave your dad alone, Bells. And Charlie says, there's no law that says I can't cook in my house. And she says, you would know. And then she looks at the badge pinned to his leather jacket. And it's like, yeah, he's a cop. We know. We know. We're not starting with the clips here, Steph. And he's like, oh, of course. So he takes his jacket off and hangs it up next to where his gun belt is. And she says he hadn't been needing his gun belt lately because there had been no more disturbing disappearances to trouble the small town of Forks, Washington. No more sightings of the giant mysterious wolves in the ever reigning woods, dot, dot, dot. So you see here, she's like, oh, it's a small town and it's called Forks and it's in Washington. And it's like, we know. But I also call bullshit because the wolves haven't been sighted. Like Jacob still exists. He's still running around out there. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure the wolves would have been spotted. 
Also, everyone thought they were bears. So I don't know why she's referring to them as wolves. They're bears, according to the, the common parlance around town. And also there'd been no more disturbing disappearances. Like Victoria's not dead. We finished New Moon with like no resolution. Victoria was still running about and they're like, oh yeah, we'll worry about her next book. So I don't know why she stopped eating people all of a sudden. So they sit down to eat and she's just waiting for Charlie to start talking, but she's not going to ask him a question. So they're just sitting there in silence. And she's thinking about how oh, afternoons are the hardest part of my day. And she says, ever since my former best friend, brackets and werewolf, Jacob Black had blah, blah, blah about the motorcycle portrayal, blah, blah, blah. I've been grounded, so I can't spend time with my boyfriend, brackets, and vampire, Edward Cullen. And it's like, okay, we don't need the brackets for what creatures they are. We know. Apparently, Edward had been allowed to come over from 7 to 9.30 p.m. each night. That was Charlie's rules. But she's like, little does Charlie know. Edward's actually been sleeping over every night. (laughs) And sneaking in through my window under the cover of darkness. Yeah, that's creepy. That's creepy. I wouldn't be so proud of that, Bells. She says, Charlie wasn't precisely aware of that. It's like, no, he's not aware of that at all. Not precisely. And she says, Edward's ability to climb easily and silently through my second story window was almost as useful as his ability to read Charlie's mind. We know. All these fucking little reminders are really shitting me. I don't know if you can tell. So they're sitting at dinner, again, still in silence, even though he's apparently concocted this, this meal just to have a conversation with her, but he's reading the newspaper. <laughs> And he's, he's grumbling at it because there's a story about five unsolved homicides in the last two weeks in Seattle. And he's like, Seattle's making a run for the murder capital of the country. Can you imagine living like that? And she's like, dad, I think Phoenix is actually higher up in the homicide list. And I have lived like that. She loves reminding us that she's from Phoenix. And she also tells us that she had to use a steak knife to cut a portion of spaghetti for Charlie and herself. That, that, that doesn't sound right. You had, you had to use a steak knife? A steak knife to cut spaghetti? Well, then obviously it's, it's not cooked. Why is she pretending that this is okay and she's just going to sit there and eat it? Like, if you have to cut spaghetti you, with a steak knife, I don't think it's edible. I think you really screwed up in the kitchen and you should just give up and order in a pizza. But she says they eat in silence. What? And he's just put a coating of sauce over the top of the clump of spaghetti. And I don't think that'll do the trick. At least add some cheese. Where's the cheese, Bells? And they're still eating in silence and he's reading the paper. So she's like, fine, I'll just read my old battered copy of Withering Heights. I do not understand their relationship dynamic. If you're going to cook dinner for your daughter so you can have a chat, have the chat. They're just sitting there independently reading, which I do kind of love. Like, I'd love that. I love independent reading time. But then finally, Charlie's like, okay, I did have a reason for doing this. I wanted to talk to you. And he says, it's about Jacob. And she's like, what about him? And he says, easy bells. I know you're still upset, but he was being responsible by telling me about the motorbike, blah, blah, fucking blah. And Charlie's like, don't get mad. And she's like, mad? And he says, well, it's about Edward too. And he says, I let him in the house, don't I? And she's like, yeah, you do for brief periods of time. And she's like shading him about it. And it's like, yeah, you ran off to Italy without warning on the day of your dad's best friend's funeral. Didn't say where you were going. Came back like three days later. I think you should be grounded. If I was your dad, I wouldn't be letting your shitty boyfriend come over for three hours each evening 
No way, Jose. She's so unreasonable about it. But basically, he's being weak and going back on his word and saying that she deserves to get off for good behaviour. So she's no longer grounded, but he wants her to go hang out with Jacob. That's what I'm getting from this. It, it takes pages and pages and pages for him to get to that point, but I'm just summarizing for you guys to spare you. And she's trying to put up a fight because she doesn't want to hang out with Jacob because it's awkward. And she's like, yeah, I hang out with my friends all the time. And he's like, uh, do you really? When was the last time you spoke to Angela Weber? And she says, Friday at lunch. Poor Angela, would it kill Bella to just invite her over for dinner one night? Go see a film. And she says, before Edward's return, my school friends had polarized into two groups. I like to think of those groups as good versus evil. Us and them worked too. The good guys were Angela, Ben and Mike Newton. They had all forgiven me for going crazy when Edward left. Lauren was the evil core of them. (laughs) And almost everyone else, including my first friend in Forks, Jessica Stanley, seemed content to go along with her anti-Bella agenda. Well, have you apologized to them? Because I think you were, you were quite a bitch to Jessica and or Lauren, whichever one you, you dragged to Portland to the movie theater and, and was a complete nightmare to. Have you apologized? Because maybe you should. And I think it's a bit rich to consider them evil when you literally just met a group of evil vampires called the Volturi who kill people. They ate a whole busload full of tourists practically in front of you, but you still want to become a vampire and Lauren and Jess are the evil ones. That doesn't add up for me, sis. And she says Angela had been unswervingly loyal. Despite the natural aversion most humans felt towards the Cullens, Angela sat beside Alice every day at lunch. Angela's a bloody saint. Also, this natural aversions humans feel towards the Cullen. She she brings that up a lot and I still don't think it's true because I thought the vampires were designed to be super pretty and attractive to humans and their smell was meant to lure people in. So I don't know about this natural aversion when they're designed to attract instead of avert. She even then says in like the next sentence, it was difficult not to be charmed by the Cullens once one gave them a chance to be charming. So, so they're not naturally off-putting then. Also, Jasper can affect moods. Why doesn't he just affect everyone's mood if they want people to not be near them or if they want people to be charmed by them? He can just do that himself. Can Jasper just not make Lauren and Jessica not be a bitch? Like, I don't know. I don't know the extent of his powers. So we're still talking in circles, but essentially Charlie says, I don't think you should dump all your other friends for your boyfriend, Bella. It's not nice. And I think your life would be better balanced if you kept some other people in it. And yep. Sounds right to me, Charlie, you're speaking the truth. And he says, what happened last September? And she flinches because oh, she's got that horrible gut reaction to being dumped. He says, if you'd had more of a life outside of Edward Cullen, it might not have been like that. And she says, it would have been exactly like that. <laughs> she could have been a little bit offended by saying, if you'd had a life outside of Edward Cullen, but she, she's like fully agreeing with him there, being like, yep, no life outside of Edward. And they're still talking around and around in circles, but essentially she's not grounded anymore. So there's that. And Charlie keeps pushing the Jacob angle. And he says, don't you miss him at all? And she's like, I do miss him. I miss him a lot. And then Charlie's like, okay, then see each other. What the fuck's going on? And she narrates, it wasn't something I was at liberty to explain. It was against the rules for normal people human people like me (laughs) to know about the clandestine world full of myths and monsters that existed secretly around us. I knew all about that world. Like, okay, backdoor brag. 
and I was in no small amount of trouble as a result. I wasn't about to get Charlie in the same trouble. You've, you've been getting Charlie into trouble for, for two books now. And then she gives us all the backstory on the werewolves hating the vampires, just reminder, 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 and yeah, we get it. And she sort of throws Jacob under the bus by being like, he kind of wants to be more than just friends, and that's why there's a distance. And Charlie says that he's been talking to Billy about Jacob, and Jake's having a hard time right now, he's depressed. And she's like, you and Billy gossip like old women. And it's like, okay, that's not the point of this story. Also, I feel like that's sexist to just say you and Billy gossip like old women. Like, it's, well, it's, it's a lazy metaphor and it's rooted in old fashioned stereotypes and I don't love it, Bella. Anyway, then she agrees to try. Finally, I just cut across like 18 pages of dialogue because, oh God, she's really getting off to an exciting start. And then he says, there's some mail for you here, Bella. And he throws a letter at her. And it's a letter from the University of Alaska Southeast. And she looks at the envelope and it's already open. And Charlie's like, mea culpa, mea culpa. I was curious. And she's like, that's a crime, Sheriff. And he's like, whatever, just read it. And so she opens it and it's an acceptance letter to the university. Whereas if I were Bella, I'd be walking down to the sheriff's station, asking to see the deputy sheriff and saying, hey, my dickhead dad opened my mail. You're going to do something about that? Because that's not okay, Charlie. You can't go opening people's mail. And so then they talk about how much Charlie wants to help her out with tuition. And she's like, I've got my college fund, which she doesn't because she's dipped into it to buy flights to Italy or some bullshit. But basically, Bella's not really planning on going to university for long because she wants to be turned into a vampire. So it's all a ruse for Charlie. And she wants to go to Alaska because it's overcast because (laughs) the Cullens like to hang out in the middle of the day, but only when it's cloudy. Because if it's not cloudy, then they glitter in the fucking sun. Ah, recap, recap, recap. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. 
Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. And so then Edward arrives and she sees his perfect face and she says, time had not made me immune to the perfection of his face. Oh, and we get a whole paragraph talking about his face. My eyes traced over his pale white features, hard square of his jaw, soft curve of his lip, straight line of his nose, sharp angle of his cheekbones, marble span of his forehead. Ugh. Oh, and a tangle of rain-darkened bronze hair. Yeah, he's perfect. Got it. Great. Who cares? Like, she's given us so much description, but could you really picture him? She's not really described him in any interesting way. Oh, he's got a straight nose, does he? Great. So she's staring into his eyes and then she starts to feel a bit lightheaded, but she thinks that's because she'd forgotten to keep breathing. And then she says, again, in another sentence. So this regularly happens that she just forgets to breathe when she's looking at him. I'm sorry. I don't think you should have to be reminded to breathe. I think one day she's really going to pass out just because she's forgetting to breathe. Then they hold hands and she says his touch brought with it the strangest sense of relief as if I'd been in pain and that pain had suddenly seized. And I'm thinking, does Stephanie Meyer feel these things for Pancho? Like, has she experienced a love like this or is she just banging it on? I think she's banging it on for the tweens that are reading this because that, I'm sorry. Uh, she'd been in pain until she touched his hand. Like, that's just, that's just too extra. And then he starts sniffing her hand. She says his nose skims along the skin of her wrist. And she says he's enjoying the bouquet while resisting the wine. And then she goes into a whole paragraph explanation of how he likes the smell of her blood. Like, yeah, we know. She says, I knew that the scent of my blood, so much sweeter to him than any other person's blood, truly like wine beside water to an alcoholic. I I don't know if that's an appropriate metaphor either. It caused him actual pain from the burning thirst it engendered. She says, I could only dimly imagine the Herculean effort behind this simple gesture of him kissing her hand and not killing her. It's a Herculean effort and yet she still wants to be a vampire. That's like her her one goal in life is to become a vampire and then have to deal with this shit. She says, it made me sad that he had to try so hard. I comforted myself with the knowledge that I wouldn't be causing him pain much longer. Yeah, what about your own pain, babe? How many people do you think you're gonna kill when you're a newborn vampire? It's really quite irresponsible for you to be going through with this plan. So then Charlie stomps in and Edward says, good evening, Charlie. And she says, Edward was always flawlessly polite, though Charlie didn't deserve it. I'm sorry, what? I think Charlie does deserve for his daughter's boyfriend to be polite to him in his own goddamn house. Especially since he's letting you two hang out, even though he ruined your life for months. And then you disappeared to Italy. Like, uh, She is just so self-centered. She cannot see anything from anyone else's perspective, especially Charlie's. And so Edward brought over more application forms for her to apply to other colleges. And she's like, oh, fuck this. She's like, why are we bothering with this big old ruse? I got accepted to Alaska. Let's just go there. And Charlie's like, okay, well, where are you going next year, Edward? And Edward says, oh, I've received a few acceptance letters, but I'm still weighing my options. I've been accepted to Syracuse, Harvard, Dartmouth, and I just got accepted to the University of Alaska Southeast today. And so Charlie's like, well, that's pretty fucking impressive, but you wouldn't really go to Alaska when you could go to Ivy League schools, right? And so then Bella says, well, guess what, Edward? 
I just got my acceptance to the University of Alaska. And he says, congratulations, what a coincidence. And it's like, it's not a coincidence. They probably send out the letters on the same day to everybody. I'm sure they're just running a mail merge, sending it to the printer and whacking it all out. They're not, they're not staging it out separately. That's not a coincidence. That's just how the postal system works. Then they talk about Bella not being grounded anymore, but there's conditions. And Edward's like, oh, good to know. Alice would love a shopping partner. And I'm sure Bella would love to see some city lights. And Charlie's like, no, she's not going into the city, okay? There's a killing spree happening in Seattle. And Bella rolls her eyes. She says, dad, there's a better chance that I'll get struck by lightning than that one day that I'm in Seattle. And Edward cuts her off and he's like, nah, it's fine. We won't go to Seattle then. We'll just go to Portland. Because there's no crime in Portland, even though that's where she almost got gang raped. Oh, I know she was going to get gang raped in that smaller town, that sunny little seaside tourist town. She was going to get gang raped in Portland. I think she was also going to get gang raped, but no, nah, no, nah, we're not going to go to Seattle. We'll just stick to the other places that she almost got attacked so that she's safe. <laughs> Great plan. So then Charlie stomps off. He's like, all right, kids, whatever. And so Edward's reading the newspaper and she starts filling out those application forms. And for one of them, she sees that it's for Dartmouth. And she's like, Edward, Dartmouth, be serious. And he says, I think you'd like New Hampshire. There's a full complement of night courses for me. And the forests are very conveniently located for the avid hiker. Plentiful wildlife. So he's, he's going to go and do night courses. Why bother? Why are you going to university, Edward? Like, what's the point? I thought it was all a ruse anyway. And like, I understand from Edward's perspective, he wants Bella to actually go to uni. And like have the whole college experience. But like, why do you need to go do night courses? Like, you don't even need to be in high school right now. Why are you also planning a fake college degree? And like, doesn't he already have like a million college degrees because he's 104 years old? Just relax and enjoy your afterlife, dude. And Edward's saying to Bella, I'll let you pay me back. I'll, I'll pay for all of your tuition. And she's like, oh, no way. Like I could even get in without some enormous bribe. Or was that part of the loan, the new Cullen wing of the library? Ugh. She just does not want to accept his money. And I was like, I would in a heartbeat. And like, he's already asked you to marry him. Like if you're going to get married, surely you're going to have a merged bank account. Just take the money. He's had assets growing for years. He's been playing the stock market from before you were born. He's got these hidden advantages that you'll never have because you're a human. Take advantage. And so she goes to like dramatically throw out the application form. But Edward, because he's got super speed, he like scoops him up and puts him in his pocket. And she's like, what are you doing? And he says, I sign your name better than you do yourself. Uh, So he's just going to apply for these colleges against her will and forge her signature. Okay, that's another crime she can go and talk to the deputy sheriff about. So then they talk about the whole ruse about going to Alaska. Edward's not all about it. He wants her to go to school for longer. And she just wants to become a vampire so that she can kill innocent people. And she even knows the risks. She says, my knowledge of those first few years as a new vampire was sketchy, but I knew it wasn't pretty. Self-control was apparently an acquired skill. And she says, anything more than correspondence school was out of the question. I, I don't think you'll be going to school when you're a newborn vampire. Like, I'm so sorry to burst your bubble. I don't think you're going to get a BA through correspondence whilst you're turning into a creature of the night. And so they debate about whether to turn her into a vampire now or later. And she says, it's too dangerous. And she gives us the whole backstory. She says, I only had a sadistic vampire trying to avenge her mate's death with my own. And oh yeah, the Volturi, the vampire royal family with their small army of vampire warriors. They insisted that my heart stop beating one way or another in the near future. 
because humans weren't allowed to know that they existed. And she's like, yep, that's, that's a full rundown of the past two books, thanks. And she says, even with Alice keeping watch, and she says Edward was relying on her uncannily accurate visions of the future to give us an advance warning, it was insane to take chances. Ah, uh, uncannily accurate visions? Alice? Uncannily accurate? No, no, no. You know how I feel. I think she's the worst vampire of the bunch. She is a shit fortune teller. All her visions are mumbo jumbo. And they can change as soon as someone makes a different decision. And, and she can't see anything when a werewolf is involved. And like, clearly Jacob's going to want to try and help Bella fight the Volturi. So Alice isn't going to be able to see any of that. So I wouldn't be relying on Alice to give you advance warning of anything. She sucks. Oh, so she's just thinking about how she's going to get turned a few weeks after graduation. But then she's thinking about Charlie and her mother, Renee, far away in sunny Florida. (laughs) She says, Renee's still pleading with me to spend the summer on the beach with her and her new husband. Like, at what point do we stop calling Phil a new husband? Like, they've been dating or they've been together since the start of the saga. I I think we've acclimatized to Phil and you don't need to keep introducing him as a new husband. And Edward's like, there's no hurry. And she says, I want to hurry. And he's like, you have no idea what you're saying. And then he points to the newspaper where the headline says, death toll on the rise, police fear gang activity. And she's like, why do I care about that? And he says, monsters are not a joke, Bella. And then she's like, oh my God, a vampire is doing this? And he's like, uh, yeah, you'd be surprised, Bella, at how often my kind are the source behind the horrors in your human news, (laughs) in your human news. Does that mean the vampires have their own news outlet? Like a daily profit for just vampires? In your human news. Like, do do the vampires just not watch CNN? They don't watch human news? (laughs) Stupid vampires. I swear, if the Volturi, like, produce a little gazette every quarter, that would be hilarious. Maybe, like, a, a monthly email newsletter. That would just be so funny. And Edward says, look, the information here indicates a newborn vampire is on the loose in Seattle. Bloodthirsty, wild, out of control, the way we all were. And she's like, yep, sounds great. Sign me up. He says, the unlikely disappearances, always in the night, poorly disposed of corpses, the lack of other evidence. Yep, it seems like this is a newborn vampire. Although no mention of blood being drained from the corpses, but whatever. And then because now she realizes that it's a vampire attack, she all of a sudden has empathy for the victims. Before when it was gang violence, she was like, who cares? What do I care? Gang violence. You should see the gang violence in Phoenix. This is nothing. Stupid Seattle. Stupid safe Seattle with their shitty gang violence. But now that she realizes it's a vampire, she's like, oh no. She says though five people whose lives were over, whose families were mourning now. And she reads them. She says Maureen Gardner, Jeffrey Campbell, Grace Razzie, Michelle O'Connell, Ronald Albrook. Oh, these were all people who had parents and children and friends and pets and jobs and hopes and plans and memories and futures. And she's like going into a spin. But again, when it was gang violence, she was like, eh, them's the breaks. And she says, well, it won't be the same for me. You won't let me be like that. We'll live in Antarctica. And I don't know if she knows that Alaska and Antarctica are different and that they're on the different poles, by the way. Does she think Alaska is in Antarctica? I'm unclear. And Edward's like, oh, so I can feed on penguins. How lovely. And she says, oh, of course, Edward would consider the hunting possibilities. He and his vegetarian family 
all committed to protecting human life, preferred the flavour of large predators for satisfying their dietary needs. Yeah, we know. We know. This is the third book in your series. Oh, God. I hope, I hope it's just this first chapter that we're getting the recap because if this continues on, I am, oh, I'm going to lose it. So then Edward jokes about going to Alaska because there's polar bears and grizzlies and wolves that he can eat. And she's like, wolves? Because, you know, it's a sensitive subject because her ex-best friend was a werewolf. I don't know if that's been made clear to us throughout this chapter yet. But if you want to be recapped, there's the recap for you. So then they talk about Jacob for a little bit. And she says, Charlie says Jake is having a hard time. He's hurting right now and it's all my fault. And Edward's like, okay, cool, tough tits. And she says, I need to make it right. And he says, you know, it's out of the question for you to be around a werewolf unprotected, Bella. And it would break the treaty if any of us cross over onto their land. Do you want us to start a war? It's like, okay, don't pin that on her. If you start a war with the wolves, if you go and break the treaty, she can just go out and hang out with a werewolf by herself. She did it when you dumped her and went to Brazil, but he's not having it. He says, there's no point in discussing the matter further unless you want to start a war. Like she's a big war criminal. He has no responsibility in that. No, it's all on her. And then they talk about Withering Heights. Boring. And he says, I don't know why Heathcliff and Kathy ended up being ranked with couples like Romeo and Juliet or Elizabeth Bennet and Mr. Darcy. And so now we're getting the literary illusion. You know how she shoehorns them in? Like last book, it was Romeo and Juliet. She shoehorned that in with the whole Paris thing as well. And before that, it was the Pride and Prejudice crap. Like... Stop with the literary illusions, Steph. Like, I'm not buying it. And so Edward says to her, why do you read this crap all over and over and over again? And his eyes are staring into hers. And he tries to unravel the convoluted workings of my mind, she tells us. Now, I don't think anyone who has read these books thinks that Bella's mind has convoluted workings. And he says, I just think it would be a better story if either of those characters had one redeeming quality. And she says, I think that's the point. Their love is their only redeeming quality. Okay, maybe she has a point with this illusion because I do not think that Edward or Bella have any redeeming qualities. So maybe they are really similar to Heathcliff and Kathy. And then Edward says, I hope you have better sense than that to fall in love with someone so dot, 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 malignant. It's like, dude, she's already in love with you and you're a fucking vampire. And she says, well, I hope you're smart enough to stay away from someone so selfish. Catherine is really the source of all the trouble, not Heathcliff. And you know what, Bella, I hate you. I hate you. And I've been very clear with my hatred of you. And I do think you're selfish and self-centered and a terrible person. But I wouldn't blame everything on you because Edward is a vampire. And a lot of the mess that you're in does sort of stem from that. So it's kind of shared responsibility. Maybe 40, 60, maybe 40 to you, 60 to him, possibly. And she's like, well, it's not dangerous for me to hang out with Jacob just to circle back to that. I used to spend all day on La Push with the whole lot of them and nothing ever happened. But her voice falters at the end there because of course something did happen once. One of the wolves tried to kill her once, like, you know, no big deal. And Edward says, werewolves are unstable. Sometimes the people near them get hurt. Sometimes they get killed. And she thinks of Emily, the once beautiful face of Emily, which is now marred by a trio of dark scars (laughs) that dragged down the corner of her right eye and left her mouth warped forever into a lopsided scowl. Now that's how you describe a face. She describes Edward's face without any emotion or feeling, but this Emily, like you can picture it, can't you? How hideous she is. She's so hideous. Her face was once beautiful, but now it's hideous and lopsided and warped forever. (laughs) Poor Emily, the way she gets talked about, it's so wrong. 
And Edward says, I know them better than you think, Bella. I was here the last time. We started crossing paths with the wolves about 70 years ago. And, you know, they, they did the treaty, they did the truce. And then we'd thought the line had died out with Jacob's great granddad. But now it seems like the genetic quirk which allowed the transmutation has been lost. And he says, your bad luck seems to get more potent every day. Do you realize that your insatiable pull for all things deadly was strong enough to recover a pack of mutant canines from extinction? If we could bottle your luck, we'd have a weapon of mass destruction on our hands. It's like, whoa, step off her neck, dude. He's like blaming her for the werewolves existing because he thinks she's just a magnet for bad luck. And it's like, no, you brought the werewolves. The werewolves are there because the vampires are there. It's your fault, dickhead. And there's more circumstantial evidence to back that up than her just being unlucky. And she even says, she's like, uh, you know, this ain't on me, right? This is on, on you guys. The werewolves came back because the vampires did. And Edward's like, huh, is that, is that what they think, huh? And she's like, yeah, look at the facts. 70 years ago, you were here and then the werewolves showed up and then you come back and the werewolves show up. Do you think that's a coincidence? It's certainly more of a coincidence than two pieces of mail arriving on the same day. And he's just like, oh, okay, well, um, I'll tell Carlisle that theory. I'll, I'll tell Carlisle that theory. He's so dismissive of it. And yet when he thought it was Bella's fault, he was like, yep, it's your bad luck. That makes perfect sense. And she says, look, dude, this is just more important than just dropping in on an old friend. Jacob's in pain. I can't not try to help him. I can't not try to, so she's saying I cannot not try to help him. Okay, so there's a double negative for you. And she says, Jacob helped me when I was in a rough spot. If he hadn't helped me, I'm not sure what you would have come home to. I owe him better than this. And so then Edward's like, oh, I'll never forgive myself for leaving you. Just, oh God, repeating everything. And she's like, don't worry about it. You're here now, who cares? And he says, if I'd never left you, You wouldn't feel the need to go risk your life to comfort a dog. And she's like, what a derogatory slur. I'm used to Jacob saying derogatory slurs, but somehow it sounds harsher in Edward's velvet voice. And Edward says, I don't know how to phrase this properly. It's going to sound cruel, I suppose. Like, oh, it's going to sound cruel, but I'm still going to say it. But I've come too close to losing you in the past. I know what it feels like to think I have. I am not going to tolerate anything dangerous. He's not going to tolerate you seeing your best friend, okay? I think Edward was perfectly happy when she was grounded and isolated and could only hang out with him. He is a control freak. He is manipulative. He is a bad boyfriend. He is an abusive boyfriend. And I actually have merchandise, (laughs) which you can find at breakingdownbadbooks.com, which says that Edward Cullen is an abusive boyfriend. You can get that on a (laughs) t-shirt, on a magnet on a face mask, on a drink bottle, just, you know, go and check out breakingdownbadbooks.com and find the merch link and (laughs) check it out. Just, just while I'm mentioning it, I may as well plug. And she's like, I'm fine. And he says, okay, well just please make an effort to be safe. She jumped off of a cliff for you. I think you're more of the danger to her personal safety. Like we've already established that if you were to die, she would then also die by killing herself. So you're sort of the danger here, but yeah, let's just put all of this pressure onto Jacob. They say, I love you. And then he says, no werewolves, okay. And she says, I'm not going along with that. I have to see Jacob. And he says, then I'll have to stop you. (laughs) So I thought they were going to agree to disagree. 
and she would still go and see her friend. But no, he's going to stop her from seeing her friend. And then she remembers the note from Jacob that's in her pocket and how he says, doesn't change anything, sorry. And that's the end of the chapter. What a freaking horrible chapter. She just regurgitated the plot of the last two books and then just went around and around and around in circles. And I hated it. What did you guys think? Let me know. Leave a voicemail at speakpipe.com slash breaking down bad books. Hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all those places. And I'll see you guys next week for chapter two. Hope you had a good Christmas, happy new year, all that stuff. See ya. Bye. Hey guys, I'm Christine. And I'm Ashley. We know you love books. Do you love food too? We're from the Bitten Word podcast, where we make and try all of the food from your favorite fiction. We cover books, movies, TV, and even video games. And as often as possible, we try the food live on the podcast and give you pictures and recipes. We analyze food's place in fiction and how it relates to us, and talk about the weird and wonderful history of food. Ever wondered where chili came from? Try nuns with out-of-body experiences. What about that Turkish delight from Narnia? The emperor of Turkey was looking for a way to cope with his many mistresses. That pasta from a series of unfortunate events named after prostitutes. If you want to hear about these weird topics and so much more, head over to the Bitten Word podcast, available wherever you listen to podcasts. For pictures and recipes, head to Twitter at The Bitten Word or Instagram at The Bitten Word Podcast, or check out our new website, thebittenwordpodcast.weebly.com. Happy reading and bon appetit. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. You can visit www.breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch, and more. To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun, free way to support the show. Breaking Down Bad Books is hosted by me, Nathan Brown, who you can follow on Instagram and Twitter at NathanBrown90. Thanks for listening and happy reading. 